passenger looked aghast. He is the prince. He has no need of a trade, for all the king's subjects are his servants. Prince one day, pauper the next, replied Ananit. Everyone should have a trade, for no one knows the twisting of fate. I will not marry a man without a trade. The messenger carried Ananit's reply to the palace, where the queen and the king secretly breathed a sigh of relief. But Vatican was not discouraged. Ananit's counsel is wise, he said. Of course all men should have a trade. And he summoned the royal advisers to help him choose a profession. After much discussion, it was decided that weaving would be the most suitable trade for a prince. A craftsman from the royal workshop was assigned as his tutor. Within the cycle of seasons, Vatican had mastered his craft. Vatican wove for Ananit a beautiful carpet, depicting a garden. Then he summoned a royal messenger to carry the carpet to the home of Aaron the shepherd. Ananit smiled when she was presented with the carpet and willingly agreed to the marriage. So Vatican and Ananit were wed. The festivities lasted seven days and seven nights. There was music and dancing, and the tables fairly groaned under the weight of all the food. The young couple lived happily together, and when the old king and queen died, Vatican was crowned king. In the years that followed, there was much rejoicing, for never had the people of Armenia been ruled so justly. However, as the years passed, a strange thing began to occur. People would come to the palace and report their friends and relatives missing. Mothers told of sons who had not returned from the marketplace. Wives told of husbands who had disappeared. As the number of reports grew, so did the concern of the king and the queen. It is strange, said Ananit, that so many people should disappear. Perhaps you should ride out among our people and see for yourself. And so dressed as a peasant, Vatican set out leaving clever Ananit to rule in his place. He sat by village wells and listened to the gossip and walked unrecognized amongst his wealthiest and poorest subjects alike. Everywhere he went, he heard stories of missing people, but still he was no closer to solving the mystery. One day he came to a busy town. There in the marketplace he caught sight of a crowd of men. Moving closer, Vatican saw that they were hovering around a man dressed as a priest. He was singing, and to one side of him sat another priest. The man's voice was clear and sweet. It had a strangely hypnotic quality about it, and the man encircling him seemed oddly silent. The singer and his fellow priest turned and began to walk towards the town gates. As if in a trance, the crowd followed him, and Vatican accompanied them. From the gates they processed out into the countryside and towards the hills. There they reached a high stone wall in which there stood a great heavy wooden door. The first priest took a large key from the folds of his cloak and unlocked the door. Inside the door was a huge square. On one side of it stood a great temple, whose stone shone red in the sun. On another side stood a smaller temple. 
Vatican and the man were led to this temple, which concealed the entrance to a cavern. One by one the men filed through the doorway. Behind them the iron door groaned shut. Darkness closed about them, and Vatican and his companions stumbled blindly forwards. The air was cold and dank. As their eyes adjusted to the gloom, they saw a thin and bent figure hobbling towards them. Follow me, he rasped, barely lifting a bony gnarled hand to show them the way. They were led through three huge caverns, filled with men in as pitiful a state as their own guide. Each of them toiled at a trade, some stitching, others carving or knitting. Alasp, gasped their guide, that evil priest has led you too to your doom, for everyone who is brought to this place must surely die.